Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a part of that song that said, I'm alive. And I'm just curious, anybody grateful that Jesus woke you up this morning and you got breath in your body? Come on. And here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Jesus didn't owe us a day. If you woke up, it's because God was gracious and merciful to you. Lamentations 3 says, great is your mercy. Now, here's the crazy part. The song don't sit down yet. The song don't just say, it doesn't just say I'm alive. It says I'm alive and well. Come on now. I, I am grateful that God has kept my body kept my mind. Everything ain't perfect, but everything is good because I'm alive and I am well. You may be seated and on your way down, look at somebody and just say, I'm alive. Now look at somebody else and say, and I'm well. What a great God that we serve that gives us life and also gives us liberty and freedom. I want to be very clear that you're in here for one reason, whether you know it or not. We are here to lift up the name of Jesus. That's the goal. That's the agenda. That's if you're sitting here trying to figure out, well, what's, you know, what's this church about? If you've never been here, we are about Jesus. I'm just going to put it out in front for you. So you don't have to guess. We want to sing about him. We want to, we want to give him glory through the preach word. It is Psalm 95 verse two. This says, come into his presence with Thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him in songs of praise. So I'm grateful for our worship team and not just our worship team, but I'm grateful for our band. Come on, let's give some love to these brothers, Michael and Miguel and Matthias. That's been in there in the, in the cage. So grateful for um, the commitment of people who have specific giftings to be able to like put them to their hands to the plow, but not just them, our tech team and our welcome team and our kids ministry, everybody that, that serves in any way, we are, we are grateful. Uh, I really am grateful to be alive and grateful to be in the house of God. My responsibility is to preach the word of God. So if you'll do me a favor, indulge me, grab your Bibles or your devices or whatever contains the word and go to the book of Luke. We'll be in the book of Luke. Once you get to Luke, go to Luke chapter 18. Hey, I was going upstairs and, and, and I saw someone who made my heart glad. And I'll tell you why. I, really, I just found out his wife was in the first service and I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see her. But Tyreek is here, and Amarachi was here in the first service. Where's Tyreek at? He's upstairs. He left. Okay, so he was in the first service as well. He, um, they, we just was in Antigua um, and doing their wedding, and so they just got back from their honeymoon. And I said, man, you look married. You look like a husband. I don't know what that looks like, but you look, you know, whatever that looks like, you look like it. But so I just want to give some love and shout out to them. Uh, also, I want to give some love. I don't know if he's here. I know it's his wife's birthday. So happy birthday to Adri. But uh, Pastor Caleb did a phenomenal job last week. Phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. I was watching service. I, I was away. I was on the West Coast, but I was watching service um, while I was getting dressed to go to an event. And I was in the hotel and, you know, I was worshiping and then got to the word and I forgot it was Pastor Caleb that was preaching. I'm in the shower going, preach, Negro, preach, because he was just like really giving it to us. And that was too much, way too much. But and the point is, I was I was so excited to hear the word of God. And here, here's what I'm grateful for. I hope you join me in, in, in the, just this, this, this gratitude is that we belong to a church that loves to handle the word of God, that loves to preach about Jesus, that loves to exegete scripture, that, that doesn't play those isogeting games, that doesn't pick and choose, but actually gets into the word of God. And sometimes that's, sometimes that's, 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 that's um, uh, a strong amen. You walk out of here. Sometimes that's an ouch. And sometimes it might be confusion, but yet you come back 
every week to hear the word of God. And I always say this is the most climactic moment uh, of our service. No fluff, no personal recognition, but a, a, a true drive to see King Jesus lifted up and made known. That's, that's the goal of our, of our, our time in the pulpit. Um, speaking of time in the pulpit, I just want to lay before you what the next few Sundays will look like. And I'll do this quickly. Um, I'm so excited. We baptized four people this morning and we, we actually got two more spontaneous baptisms. Amen. Right after. So please don't rush out. Um, it, it's raining. Brunch has been ruined. So just, just hang out for a little bit. A um, couple of things to note that, are, that is coming up. First of all, Vision Sunday is next Sunday. For those of you who don't know what that is, maybe you haven't been here um, that long. But Vision Sunday is the time that we get to look back over the last year and just marvel at the faithfulness of God, but also take a second to pay attention to the areas of opportunity, the areas that we didn't do well. Um, how many know year over year, um, it's important that we look back in retrospect, but we also cast vision for going forward. And I have some real, real, real exciting and I think clear vision for 2024. In fact, there's one word that keeps ringing in my mind. I'm going to preach about it next week, uh, but it's this word that God keeps putting in my spirit of consistency. And, and uh, I'm not sure what that means. I know corporately God is calling Epiphany to not play games with the, with, the, with the tricks and gimmicks, just be consistent and faithful in talking about him. But I think it also transfers to your individual life. God is looking for consistency in your prayer life this year. He's looking for consistency in, in, in your devotion to him. Um, I, I really genuinely believe that your best year next year will only be your best, best year based on your proximity to Jesus. I'm not sure if you're waiting for a moment in the sermon to say amen, but your boy should have got one right there. Next year will be your best year, but it will only be your best year based on your proximity to Jesus. And so consistency is what I believe that he's looking for. I really want to talk about that. Be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Um, so Vision Sunday is next Sunday. The 24th is Christmas Eve. That's the following Sunday. Um, we will have our normal service time. So 930 and 1130. Uh, if you got family in town for Christmas, y'all come. I know some people travel for Christmas, but if you're here and you have family, bring the family. We will have a phenomenal Christmas service uh, on Christmas Eve. And we're actually doing something different, which is we're doing an epiph rewind Christmas style. For those of you who don't know what epiph rewind is, epiph rewind is... Um, is, 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 it's kind of a worship service, but we kind of flip the whole service. So instead of me preaching after the worship, I'm going to preach at the very, very top. Now, listen to me. Please, please listen to me. Y'all Negroes be late to church. Y'all be late, like late, late, like late, late. And, and, and I really don't want to preach to seats. So if y'all could do me a favor and get here early, if you get here at 1130, you're already late. Get here a little bit earlier so we can all, you know, worship together. But I, I really, um, I'll preach really quick. I won't have a long sermon, but I'll preach something on Advent as we move into this season. Um, our, our theme for the day is Jesus at the center, and, and that's what he's at the center of Christmas. And so we'll, we'll talk about that next, uh, the 24th. So 930, 1130, please, we'll have both services you should get here. It's going to be great. And then enjoy Christmas uh, the next day. Uh, finally, and by the way, I am in the Christmas spirit. I just want y'all to know that like yesterday, we already put on the Motown. Uh, we, we really don't do Mariah Carey Christmas. That's just us in our house. I ain't taking nothing from her. I'm just saying, I just like Smokey and, and, and I, I like the Jackson 5 and the Temptations hit with that Silent Night. Diana Ross, I'm just saying, Nat, Nat King Cole is a great Christmas album. I'm a little old school. We were playing it yesterday, and my goddaughter was like, this is just so old. <laughs> All right, so Christmas, um, that service is coming up. The 31st is New Year's Eve. Um, that service will be disrupted, so we will not have 930. We will not have 1130. We will only have one service on New Year's Eve, and that service is at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. So we're doing a watch night service, which is going to uh, double down as a testimony service. And so I'll, I'll talk a little bit. We'll have some worship. And then we're going to set up uh, some mics for you guys to testify about, um, about the, what the Lord has done in the last year. And it's, testimony services is always encouraging and good. 
And so we'll do that again, no 9.30, no 11.30. Doors open at 9.30 p.m. 10 o'clock we will have um, service and then we'll end somewhere right before midnight because we'll transition. Um, most of you who want to stay for a party will be a party upstairs. Uh, who was here last year for our New Year's Eve party? Uh, your, your boy was a little convicted. I was walking around going, y'all all right? Y'all are, because we was like, it was a party. Like it was a party party. Um, and I was convicted until Ty was like, no, you know, we're creating an atmosphere for young people, a safe atmosphere for young people to have fun. So we'll do that upstairs. Um, but what we'll add this year is downstairs will be more of a jazz vibe. So this... 43, I need... Listen, I, I love him. I love Mary J. Blige, but I like some jazz too. So I'm going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. We'll have some food. Y'all know how we do. So we'll, we'll have some food, but we will have a jazz vibe feeling here. And we'll just enjoy each other's presence and have uh, some community. Uh, so again, if you don't have to rush out, please hang out with us for New Year's Eve. Finally, I just want to mention that our fast is coming up. We're having a corporate fast January 1st to January 5th. Um, we believe that how you start is how you end. And so we like to start the new year dedicating it to the Lord, start the new year sacrificing for the Lord. Um, I know those dates seem kind of weird that it actually falls on the first, but we try to do the first full week of the year. Um, so January 1 to January 5th, more details will come, uh, be coming out about that. All right, I talked enough. Are you all at Luke 18? All right, pick me up in verse 9. It says, he also told, he meaning Jesus, told this parable to some, we'll define that, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners and unjust, adulterers, and, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithe on all that I get. Watch the contrast here. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I tell you this, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I want to preach today from the topic entitled, Two Very Different Prayers. Two Very Different Prayers. Speaking of prayer, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord before we, before we jump in. Father, we slow the pace down because we want to acknowledge our need for you. That's number one. But number two, we also want to acknowledge that we are entering into a moment that we get to hear from you. Not the only way that the people that are in this room can hear from you. You speak all the time. You talk to us a lot. And so, Lord, help us to be attentive to your voice. But this is one of the moments. And so, Lord, I pray that this passage would not just be a cute story that Jesus told, but that this would be transformative. Lord, we pray all of these things to you because we know that you actually answer them. You told us that if we ask you for a fish, you won't give us a snake. So, Lord, what we're asking for is clarity on your word. What we're asking for is insight into your word. Lord, we present our pleas before you, not because of our righteousness, but we present our pleas before you because of your great mercy. We are pleading with you this morning, this afternoon, to speak to us, challenge us and encourage us, and help us to see Jesus. It's in his name, in his name alone we pray. Somebody say amen. amen. Two very different prayers. I want to jump right in and, and, and not start today with some type of story, kind of just want to jump right into the sermon. So if I, if I can do that in 2024, I, I really want to save us and those of you who are in the room, those of you who are hanging with us online, if you're next door, those of you who are next door, I want to save us in 2024 from the trap of gauging our spiritual growth based on comparing ourselves to others who are seemingly worse off than us. 
I just want to be, I want to be clear here. I want, to, I want to say your boy wants to save us because I believe that there is some professing believers that are in the room that really believe that God accepts you not merely based on the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. There are some of you that feel like you're justified or you're accepted by God based on the fact that you're better than your most reckless friend. And so what we do is we look around the people that are around us and we be like, huh, this person next to me, I'm going to pull out all of their flaws. God, you see their flaws because I know their flaws. And here it is. I'm a little bit better. So God, you should accept me. We look at our cousins and we be like, they vape, they do edibles. They be acting crazy and I don't do anything. I'm just sanctified. And so because of that, God, you should accept me. In fact, we do that even spiritually in, in a religious uh, setting. What we do is we look around the room and be like, I come to church more than her. I give more than him. I serve more than him. I give of my time. And, and because of that, God, I should be accepted. That's all this word justified, justifies mean is to be declared righteous, to be declared not guilty. Lord, I should be declared not guilty simply based on the fact that I pulled out a list of religiosity and therefore you should accept me. But at the core of many of us subscribing to comparison is pride. It's judgmental. It's not godly. And I think we look at stuff like that and we be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. But the longer you, 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 you compare yourself and the longer you point to yourself as a means of righteousness, the more you don't look at Jesus as the means of righteousness. And so what it does when you compare is really two things. Number one, it robs you of joy and walking in the uniqueness in which God has created you. It's the first thing it does. It robs you of being able to say, Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. No, you're looking around at everybody else and you don't get to enjoy all of the uniqueness to which God has made you. You are the best you. Stop comparing you to somebody else. That's the first thing. It robs us of, it robs us of joy and the uniqueness of who we are. The second thing I think that comparison does is it sets the bar really low. You know, you know, when, when uh, NBA players dunk on somebody and they go like that, that's what it does. It puts the bar, the hurdle to, to, to meeting the standard of God. It puts the bar so very low. And many of us are guilty of it. Your, your standards, when your standards of acceptance is based on dysfunctional people, the bar is set really low. And we do that with our friends. We do that with our coworkers. And we won't say it, Pastor Timmy. We, we do this stuff, but we won't, we won't really say it. We do it with our neighbors. We do it with people that we don't even know. And here's the thing. You can always find somebody worse off in, than you. Because if you look around this room, here's one thing we all have in common. Everybody in this room has made a bad decision before. Everybody in this room has fell into sin before. Everybody in this room, and I ain't talking after you, uh, before you met Jesus. I'm talking after you met Jesus. Anybody it fell off after you professed faith, after you got baptized, after you memorized scripture, you still fell off. And that's the problem with comparison is we're comparing ourselves to other fallen people. And there's somebody in this room going right now going, well, I was good in 2023. I ain't fall at all. You should just look at somebody just in case and prophetically tell them you're capping. Come on, tell somebody that. You are lying. You know, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, this is first John, that if we say we have no sin, the Bible says you're capping. Now it says lying, but can we just translate that to 2023? We are, you are, and you deceive yourself. So everybody in this room has fallen short. So here's the thing. Comparison does not work. Let's set the bar a little bit higher. Instead of making the standard your trifling friend, how about we make the standard God? Because here's the thing, when you make the standard God, ain't nobody in this room able, able to, to, to compare with God. Because here's the thing about God's standard, God's standard ain't good, it's perfection. And because nobody in this room, I ain't got to do a show of hands, I am convinced that there is not one person in this room that is perfect. You fell off from being perfect a long time ago. In fact, you fell off when you was a toddler. And the thing about God is he doesn't ex accept one imperfection. And so therefore, if all of us are imperfect, then all of us should be striving for perfection. But in the reality, you get that externally, I'm preaching already, from Jesus. That's where... When God says you're holy, it's not because you're holy by merit. When God says you're holy, he's saying you're holy 
positionally because I've splattered on you some of the blood of Jesus Christ. What makes you holy, what makes you blameless, what makes you spotless, which is what the the scriptures call us if we've trusted in Jesus, it is because Jesus has imputed to you the righteousness. See, that's the thing about the cross. The thing that I rejoice in about the cross is not just the fact that he died for my sin. That in and of itself should cause a praise break. But the thing is that he died for my sin. Watch this. And then credited my account with his righteousness. So now, not only do I stand before the Lord as though I have no sin, I stand before the Lord as though I kept Every single law is called imputed righteousness. Somebody say imputed righteousness. I don't want to go deep here, but I hope this makes sense because we're arriving to a passage where two people are going into the temple and both both of them are, are trying to be justified. But their means of justification, it shows up in two very different prayers. One person is trying to be accepted by God based on the standard of comparing to someone who is more seemingly wicked. I shouldn't say seemingly, is more wicked. He's, he's trying to, the Pharisee, he's trying to compare, he's pointing to, which is crazy because both of them are in the temple. So that means the tax collector, collector actually hears the prayer of the Pharisee. This is how arrogant he is. I wonder if he pointed at him like this guy. I'm better than him. And so one is trying to be justified by lowering the standard of the tax collector. First of all, an average person was better than a tax collector. That ain't, that ain't oppressive. But the second person that's trying to be justified in the text is a tax collector. And here's the thing about him. He is guilty. Oh, everything that people felt about tax collectors was true. They lined their pockets. They they stole from you. They were not. They they just they weren't nice people. And and they 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 funded a Roman army, which often came in and killed and brutally beat and sometimes raped your family. And you could do nothing about it but continue to fund them with taxes. And tax collectors were Jewish people who continued to collect. They were hated people. And so that one actually is guilty. So let's get into the text here. What makes us acceptable? Not comparison. What makes us acceptable? Somebody say Jesus. Always guess Jesus. You'll somehow be right. Look at verse number nine. Before we get into the comparison, I want you to see how Jesus pulls away from us the need to trust in yourself. Verse nine, he says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous And they treated others with contempt. Notice in in verse one, he says he told this parable to some. Now, it doesn't define who Jesus is actually talking to. But let me just go ahead and do the work for you. Let me tell you who's in the crowd based on the previous chapter. There's two sets of people who are in the crowd. You have the Pharisees who are in the crowd. The Pharisees is probably who he's talking to that, that look down on other people and, and believe and trusted in their own righteousness. The Pharisees always looked down because they were, they were the religious elite and they actually knew scripture. I know that don't sound like nobody in here, but because they knew scripture, they looked down on everybody else. Or he's talking to the Jews and the Jews that are in there also look down on people who are non-Jews. And so they look down on Gentiles to the point where they called them, they called them dogs. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus is saying, you are a fool if you trust in you for righteousness. And here's why I hope y'all write this down. To trust in ourselves is to distrust in God. Does that make to trust? Let me say it differently. To trust in your own righteousness is to distrust in the righteousness that is made available to you through the work of Jesus Christ. It is impossible. The two are not mutually exclusive. You cannot say, I trust in the work of Christ, but I also got to help the cross out and trust in myself. You cannot convince me that those two actually work together. Either you trust in Jesus and you don't trust in yourself. Or you trust in yourself and you don't fully trust in Jesus. I'm convinced that there are people that are in this room that need to repent. And here's the thing, Pastor Timmy, they don't only, we don't only need to repent of our sin. We need to repent of self-righteousness. 
I want to pass through the room, y'all. I'm telling you what I know, that there are people that are in this room that all you've done all year is repent of sin and repent of wrongdoing, but we refuse to look at the areas of our life that are self-righteous and repent of those things. Let me bring in scripture here. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to convict us of both sin and self-righteousness. And so what the Spirit's work in your life does is not to just point out all of the sin in your life. It is also to point out your self-righteousness, your religiosity, your legalism, your, your being puffed up, your, your piousness. And there are some people in this room that you've grown in 2023 and you've committed in ways that you didn't commit previously in your life. And we applaud you and we say yes and amen. But let me warn you not to trust in that religious activity because it never saves us. There are people, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not preaching this above y'all. There were times this year where I memorized enough that I felt puffed up in my own religiosity. And what the Holy Spirit is doing this morning, I hope y'all are hearing me, is he's chiseling at your heart to not just chisel away sin, but also to chisel away self-righteousness. Preach, B. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. I'm going to give myself an amen right there because I am personally pleading with you to not take self-righteousness into 2024 because it doesn't do it. It doesn't help you. It doesn't sanctify. It doesn't help you to grow. It doesn't. How many times you came to church that don't take that in into 2024 and think that you've earned some and married and curried some favor with God because you came to church, memorized scripture and took communion and you lifted your hands just a little bit. Don't you ever think that that is what makes you acceptable? What makes us acceptable is that external righteousness. He said, I'm telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves, but not just trust in yourself. They trusted in themselves for righteousness. Now, here's the thing about trusting in yourself and self-righteousness. It usually is coupled with being judgmental. You ever meet a judgmental Christian? Are you a judgmental Christian? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. But, but, but genuinely, whenever you couple your self-righteousness and your piousness, you are also bringing in judgment, which is why the rest of this scripture said that he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves uh, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There's judgment because you looked around at everybody else and you said, I'm a lot further and better than them. Let me help you out. Whenever you do that, whenever you feel like you're better than somebody else because you are spiritually growing, you should always look back in retrospect and remember how jacked up you was. I almost said something else. Help me, Lord. How jacked up you was. I'm serious. You know why this angers me? Because we look down on other people as though we weren't the one down before. As though God hasn't been gracious to you. Let me mess you up this morning. The only reason you have been accepted is because we serve a God that's gracious. Because you ain't make it in based on merit. Oh, no, I didn't make it in based on merit. And if you, if you see me falling off the, the spiritual wagon, I need you not to gossip about me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to, to walk with me. I need you to pick me up. I need you not to spread my business around. I need to know I got a sister in the room and I got a brother in the room that's going to walk with me because they don't look down on me. And that's what comparison does. It makes us so arrogant and makes us so judgmental. And it ain't nothing more ugly than a, than a judgmental Christian that's arrogant. It is not Christ-like. And it doesn't look like my Savior. And some of you in the room right now, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, is he talking to me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, this, one, this one is for you. Because I think all of us, some, at some point in life, can fall into this area of being a comparison person. All right, I'm going to move on. So watch this. First, Jesus says, look, don't trust in yourself for your own righteousness. Don't look down on others with contempt. Now, he's going to show us somebody that does that. And he shows us by a comparison and contrast. Watch verse 10. Two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed. Thus, watch his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Right? They're extortioners. They're unjust. They're, they're adulterers. And watch this. I'm not even like this tax collector. 
Then he keeps going. I fast twice a week. I give tithe on all that I get. Yo, this Pharisee is feeling himself right now. What he is doing, don't forget, this parable is always has a bigger meaning. It's always showing us the, the, the kingdom of God. And so what the Pharisee is doing is standing next to perfection called God and pulling out a list of religiosity and saying, accept me because I'm better than him. That's what, the, that's what he's doing. He's like, I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I give money. Now, all of this is good. Like, right? Like, we, we want to give to the Lord. We, we, we don't want to be unjust. We don't want to be adulterers. We, we, we do want to give our, our resource. We do want to fast. He says, I fast twice a week. We do want to do all of that, but we don't want to do all that to be accepted based on somebody else that's not doing it. It's, it's lowering the bar, and that's exactly what he does. That, that's exactly what this Pharisee is doing. And when you compare yourself to others, here's the thing. You can always find someone who is worse than you. Always. Can I flip it for a second? Because if you really, really want to compare yourself, you actually can always find somebody that's more spiritually mature than you. Oh, but we never go to God and be like, let me show you somebody that's better than me. And Lord, don't accept me because they're better than me. We don't do that. When it comes to comparison, we always find the worst person in our, in our group chat. And we say, that person, I'm going to pick him. I'm going to pick her because I'm better than them. And whenever you do that, you're always, always, always setting the bar too low. Somebody say, you better stop comparing. I used to go to, uh, I used to play basketball. I wasn't really good at it, but you know, um, I wasn't, I wasn't. But, but I, I had fun playing basketball when I was, you know, when I was a kid. And my friends and I, we, I, I lived down the street from basketball courts. And so we would all gather at my house and we'd go to the basketball courts down the street. Now the ones down the street were standard size rims, right? What's that? 10 feet, standard size. So we play on though. Most of us couldn't dunk. If not all of them, there were moments where none of us could dunk. But every now and then when we wanted to feel like we was, I was going to say, uh, Michael, LeBron James, every now and then I got to correct that every now and then, whenever we wanted to feel ourselves and feel like we was really balling, we go to these courts that was a little further away and they were called gully courts. And on gully courts, we had the ability to adjust the rim. And if you think we played on 10 feet, we lowered that baby down to seven to eight feet. We were screaming, we were ah, dunking, arm in the rim, and we walked away like we was killing it. And here's the thing, in a deeper, a higher, and a holier way, that is what some of us do when it comes to our spiritual walk. You're walking around dunking and acting like you're killing it, but all you've done is spiritually lowered the court. That's all you did. That's all you, you, you did. And here's the thing, try to compare yourself up with God. Forget the people next to us. Let's compare ourselves with perfection. Comparison is not a get out of free jail card. Jesus is our get out of jail free card. The, the Pharisee says, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like him. Thank you that I'm not unjust. Thank, thank you that I give and you know, look at all of who I am. And, and I just want to say also comparison it's not just about spiritual comparison, but I've noticed that whenever you compare yourself spiritually to people, it usually is running rampant in other parts of your life. You, you, you typically are just a person that likes to compare yourself to and size yourself up to everybody else. So I wrote down some red flags. These are ones that I live by. I hope they're helpful for you. Here are four red flags. I had three in the first service. God gave me another one as I was walking out. I have four red flags. He just put, keep pointing at my heart. Four red flags to help you to know if you're possibly a person that likes to compare. One, if you find it hard to celebrate when God opens the door for others, when you feel like he should have opened the door for you. That's, that is like rule number one, that you probably are in a season of comparing yourself with someone else. When you feel like, you ever, and don't make it, if it's a prayer request, and be like, God, you answered that for them, I prayed it. They didn't even, you heard the wrong person. So number one, if you find it hard to celebrate, when God opens the door for somebody else and you thought it should have been you, might be a red flag that you're a person of comparison. Number two, when we are judgmental, when they mess up, but when we mess up, we give ourselves grace. Y'all know that's true. We deal with everybody else through law and legalism, and you deal with yourself through mercy and grace. 
You might be a person of comparison. Number three, when you are obsessing over their lives, and this typically shows up in 2023, but how much time we spend searching for them on social media. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. This pride, I know y'all want some deeper. I know we do it. If I go to your search on your Instagram and on your TikTok, every time at the very top of it is the same person. You know why? You're looking. And here's the thing. When we're looking, if you have these feelings of feeling upset when you see them celebrating and doing something well and on vacation and, and doing amazing, if you're upset, you might be a person of comparison. But also the opposite is true. If you're a person that feels inferior to them when they're at their lowest on social media, I just need you to observe your own heart because it might be a red flag that you're a person of comparison. Can I give you the one that God gave me and hit me with as I was walking out? Last one. This one goes undetected. But when you want to impress people with your prayers, it often can be tracked back to sizing yourself up in the room. And I know it's true. And this is, this is how it works. Don't y'all lean into it. Look for it. Here's how it works. We typically look in the room and we're like, oh, I better pray well because so-and-so's in the room and so-and-so's in the room. And so what we do is we rehearse our prayers. Oh, y'all know it. You prayed it. By the time you pray it, God's like, I heard it four times already. You keep praying the same prayer over and over and over and over again. It might be a spirit of sizing up the room and comparing your spiritual weight to the room. And here's the thing. The devil is a liar. God does not want you to compare yourself with people. He wants you to rest in Jesus and Jesus alone. Comparison is the greatest way to rob yourself of joy. You better find ways in 2024. You better find ways to be um, really just consistent in who God is and be consistent in who God has made you. Because so many of us are running and running and running and trying to be other people and trying to compare with other people and continuously changing ourselves to the point where we don't even know who we are. Y'all hearing me? Can I do this real quick? I'm going to show you what, what it looks like when we're comparing and we're trying to figure out, you know, people's lives. I did this years ago, but we're trying to figure out, you know, people's lives and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to guide and, and trying to be uh, faithful to the vision that God has given us, but we've gotten lost because all we're doing is comparing ourselves. Can, can I see your glasses, brother? Can I, can I see somebody else's glasses? Daniel, let me see your glasses. Come on, come on. You're making me strat. All right. Come here. Come here. Let me, can I see two more people's glasses? Can I see two more people? Come on, two more people. Can I see your? I won't smudge them. I won't smudge them. Come on. Thank you so much. All right. One. Let me get those. Let me get those. Let me get those. Let me get those. This is, this is what we're doing. Oh, you really? There you go. This, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Whenever you're, whenever you're walking and you're not, when you're walking in the vision in which God has given you and you're not comparing yourself, you've got your own vision on. Right? These babies, oh, I can see every I can see everybody in the room because I have the, the, the glasses that God has given me. But whenever you walk and you're looking around, I'm like, oh, I got to be like her and I got to compare myself to her and I got to compare myself to him. What we're doing is we're putting on somebody else's vision. And this is this is how we're walking around. Now, I'm already impaired. Now, I can see silhouettes. I can see silhouettes, but I got two visions on. And then we keep walking. and be like, oh, man, did you see what they did? Yo, they went backpacking across the desert. I got to do that. And then we put on somebody else's glasses. And then we keep going on in life. And we'll be like, oh my God, how'd she get that man? Somebody else's glasses. And, and, then we keep, and then we keep going on in life. And we put on somebody else's vision. And the next thing you're walking around and you're looking like this. And you're trying to wonder, oh God, why you're sick. The reason you are sick to your stomach is because you got five different pair of visions on. Because you've been comparing yourself over and over and over again. You better start to pull away. Oh, now I can see again. You know why I can see? It's not that their vision was bad. Their vision was for them. Oh God. Their vision was for them. I got to give all these glasses. Victor, can you hand these all out to me? I hope you memorized everybody. <laughs> okay, optometrist. The tax collector looked around and he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to get into heaven 
and be, because remember though, I need y'all to remember the word that he uses. He said he went down justified. That's accepted. That's God banging the gavel and saying somebody that's wrong is actually right now. And so the Pharisee sees his path toward justification as the list, the list of of bad things somebody else has done and good things that he's done so that he can be accepted. I just need you to see that he, he needed two verses. The tax collector only needs one. Watch the tax collector's response when he looks up to heaven. First of all, look at his position. Verse 13. But the tax collector, watch his position, standing far off. Do you know that means he doesn't feel worthy? I'm going to show you further proof that he doesn't feel worthy. He's standing far off. And he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast seven words. Watch what he says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his prayer. That's his means of justification. Notice that he doesn't pull out a list. You know why he doesn't? Because he hasn't tithed. You know why he doesn't pull out a list? Because he doesn't fast. You know why he doesn't pull out a list? Because he is unjust. He knows. In other words, I'm going to sum it all together by saying the tax collector knows he's guilty. He knows it. So what he does is what all guilty people should do. They plead for the one thing they can plead for. Mercy, Lord. Do you see that? He's not pulling out a list. He's simply saying, God, I need you to accept me. And the only way I will be accepted is if you are merciful. In other words, if you give me what I deserve, I deserve punishment in hell. I deserve not to be justified. I deserve not to be ransomed. But if you give me what I don't deserve, what I get is everlasting life. And I only get that based on somebody say mercy. Now, I got to give you some pastoral guidance here, because one day, just like the tax collector and the Pharisee, you too will stand before the Lord. Oh, I I know it feels far off, right? Like that seems not tangible. Like that's that thing that will happen someday. And you think you got time. But there is a day where the Bible says that we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So every single one of us will have to stand before God. And here's my pastoral guidance for you today. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Please do not not pull out a list. Don't tell God how much you came to church. Can you do me a favor when you stand before God? I need you to say one word, mercy. Because that's, and here's the thing about mercy. The only people, two things. Number one, the only people that can rejoice over mercy is for people that know they messed up. So I just have a question in this room. Has anybody in this room ever messed up before? A few people? I, I need to see those hands. Is anybody messed up before? You've made mistakes. You haven't crossed every T and dotted every I. Then if that's you, you better look up to heaven real quick and say, mercy, Lord. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, my God. Don't just say mercy. Because I asked the tech team this morning to pull up Romans 12. Because Romans 12 gives me so much hope because I realize that God doesn't just give me mercy. Romans 12, pull that verse up for me. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies. Oh, y'all ain't rejoicing enough for me because you serve a God that every time you mess up, he says mercy. Every time you fall, he says mercy. Every time you cut somebody, he says mercy. We serve a God that doesn't give you a singular mercy. We serve a God that gives us plural. Somebody say mercies. And I'm grateful that every time I mess up, now this ain't a license to go out and do whatever you want. I, I, I really question people's salvation when they go out and they can just do whatever they want and lean on the grace and the mercy of God. But I know that you are a believer, that every time you think about God's grace toward your life and every time you think about God's mercy, you fall on your feet and your, your knees and you praise a God that gave you that mercy. None of us walk out and try to live life on our own terms, knowing that mercy is going to be there for us, the safety net. No, I want to walk right because I want to honor God. But when I do fall, I got mercies of God. And I need somebody in this room that has messed up to just in your heart, start to ponder this idea of God's grace and mercy, which are different, right? Great grace, great grace, grace cancels the debt. Mercy credits the account. Did you hear me? It would be like you being $60,000 in debt 
and you go to pay the debt off, and the and the debt collector says, "Oh, it's, you, 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 your debt's already paid." But wait, 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 wait. There's another account that's now attached to it, and it actually is credited sixty thousand dollars. That is mercy. That God, 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 God doesn't. God gives you stuff that you do not deserve. Now, if you're walking out of here today, I need you, I need you not to walk out and hear this parable. It's just a parable about self-righteousness and humility. I need you not to walk out of here and say, well, this is just about a, a, a pious Pharisee and a desperate tax collector. You've missed it. If all you do is walk away and say, I got to be more humble, you've missed it. This parable is not about you being more humble, although you should be. This parable is about a God that is merciful. That's what the parable is about. Every single time we get a story in scripture, you are never the hero. God is always the main character. He's always the hero. And so the text today reminds me that I worship and serve a God this afternoon that is gracious and merciful. Somebody one more time, just say mercy. The rest of the verse goes on, verse 13 and 14, goes on and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, I tell you this. This man went down justified, accepted. Can I remind you that he's guilty? But he goes back. He went up to the temple guilty. He goes back home innocent. That's heaven, y'all. Heaven is going to be filled with a bunch of guilty people that have been ransomed and redeemed and, and, and stamped on your life is not guilty, although you really are guilty. And this is why we worship Jesus. This is why I come to church. This is why I get with the body of Christ. The reason I do is because I am enamored by a God that gives me mercy because I know I'm guilty. Oh, I, I know I'm guilty. And there's somebody that's in this room that you've been living life on your own terms, and you've been trying to be justified uh, in your own righteousness, today you better forsake that righteousness. Because whenever a sinner approaches God pleading for mercy, the text shows me that he goes home justified. And there's somebody in here that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to go into 2024, thank you, Lord, with the same habits, with the same spiritual rhythms, Trying to go into 2024 doing the same thing you did in 2023. We can play something in 2023, but I ask you today, which one are you in this prayer? Are you the Pharisee or are you the tax collector that is guilty but deemed holy and righteous because he pleaded for mercy? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Somebody in this room is trying to figure out if you need Jesus. Yo, B, you need Jesus. You're trying to figure out. You know, some of us, I, I know how we are. We're like, I made it this far. Once again, grace. If you woke up this morning, you got breath in your body. It's because God wanted you to wake up. He wanted you to have breath in your body. Finally, I just need you to see that the tax collector is justified but he did nothing to earn it. He was justified because God is gracious. Who in this room has been struggling trying to be consistent with your walk with the Lord? And most of your struggling has been because you've, and I'm, I'm putting myself on blast, that you've lived life in comparison. Who, who is it that would say, that's, that's me? And I want, to be, I want to be freed from that. There is so much liberty in walking in who God has created you to be. Destiny and purpose is revealed when you walk in who God has created you to be. Not who others, who you think others want you to be. So this is what I want to do. I, I just simply want to pray. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for guilty people that are deemed righteous. And you know 2024 is going to be the year that I do not compare myself to anybody. And I do not lower the, the dignity of people around me so that I can puff myself up. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would move on somebody's heart right now. If that's you, do me a favor, come to the altar. Can we just pray together? We got a few more Sundays to get it right. God is gracious to give us Sundays. If that's you, come on down. Worship team is coming up. I see you coming. If that's you, come on down. 
come on down. That's, that's me. I, I don't want to live life based on somebody else. Lord, help me to find purpose in you. Thank you, Lord. Come on, somebody else that's guilty, but God has given mercy. God has given you mercy. Here's the thing. I'm a, I promise y'all I'm going to move on. Here's the thing. We typically, we typically lower the standard and we do so with the pe- people that are closest to us. So I ain't talking about somebody far off that you don't know. I'm talking about a cousin, a best friend, somebody that's in your, your social circle. I don't want to compare myself. I want to be free. Thank you for coming to this altar. Father, we thank you for liberty today. Your word tells us that he who the sun set free is free indeed. And Lord, we've been walking around with chains and the chains have, 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 have binded us up and we haven't been free to be who you've called us to be. And so, Father, as we go out of this year and come into a new year, Father, would you give them freedom? fresh vision and fresh perspective and and give them a a new sense of purpose as they move. Lord, the stuff that's on their plate, may may they be faithful to that and not ask for something else that's on somebody else's plate. Lord, help us to be the best us, be the best us that is one that is found in you. Lord, I pray, oh God, for these young men and these young ladies that are confessing that there's been areas of their life that they haven't been aligned with you. Here's the thing I know, Lord, about our confession to you. You tell us in 1 John 1 that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sin. And then you go so far as to purify us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, take out of our hearts the things that are not of you. And, Lord, we pray that you don't just remove them so that we have empty space in our heart. Fill those spaces with you. Fill those spaces with you. Lord, we want to be sons and daughters that walk rightly uh, before you. And so, Lord, as we go into a new year, make this next year a fulfilling year because we ran the race that you called us to run, not try to skip lanes and be in somebody else's lane. Lord, help us to be fulfilled. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be fulfilled on this altar, fulfilled in you and who you've created us to be. And so, Lord, as we walk back to our seats, Lord, I pray that we would walk back the same way the tax collector walked back to his house, knowing that we are justified and that you forgive us and that we get to start over again. Lord, put us on fire. Let us not just survive in you. Help us to thrive this year. Help us to thrive. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Somebody say amen.